Welcome to Asset Protection Today on News Radio 680 WPTF with Bill Alexander. I'm Jason Kong. Good Saturday morning to you. Good Saturday morning to you as well, Bill. How are you? Good morning, Jason. I'm doing great. I hope you are. And this, this morning, I thought uh, I would like to go back to some of the basics. I think it's always helpful to remind folks because sometimes I get down into the weeds and and uh, I know folks can glaze over when I do that, but uh, I would, uh, I, I'd, uh, you know, some of the things, sometimes I talk about the four pillars of asset protection. And uh, so I, I really want to uh, first talk about that, remind people of what that is and how important it is. Uh, and uh, what's so unfortunate is that most um most folks actually miss one or one or two <laughs> of the pillars mm-hmm. and or legs, if you want to uh, put it that way, um, and uh, to really have good asset protection, a good planning sequences and the like, you really need all four together. If you miss one, uh, things can go bad. <laughs> so, you need all four. Yeah. Okay. So what are the four? And I'm going to focus on one more than another today, uh, you know, as I will do. But, you know, this is, you know, I have the courtesy of being able to do that. That's so, right. Anyway, so what's the first one? And the first one you can't miss. If you miss it, you're in real trouble. And that's has nothing to do with uh, legal planning or financial planning. It has to do with having reasonably good to, to great liability insurance. And um, so uh, if you don't have liability insurance, you don't have asset protection. I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of legal documents you have or uh, anything else. You have to have uh, a, a foundation of liability insurance. And so... Uh, for most folks, that really means they need. They also need um, uh, umbrella coverage, and what that basically means is uh, co- insurance, liability insurance coverage over top of their basic insurance coverage. So you have uh, insurance on your motor vehicles, mm-hmm. and you have insurance on your home. Sometimes you have other kinds of insurance uh, as, as well, depending on what kind of properties you have and businesses you have and things like that. But the umbrella coverage basically goes on top of all the others. And truthfully, it's that umbrella coverage that really gives you that extra protection. And it's so important. Uh, And it's fairly inexpensive. It's very inexpensive compared to what your other insurance costs are. Um, And it's worth every penny uh, (laughs) that you pay. And truthfully, for most uh, families, uh, uh, particularly middle-class families, should have at least a million dollars of umbrella coverage. And if you're in that upper middle class range, you should really have two million dollars. Um, you know, twenty years ago, a million was more than enough because you never heard of million dollar settlements and million dollar lawsuits. And today, unfortunately, um, that's not as uncommon as it used to be. So having a little extra over and above that is 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 helpful. Uh, so anyway, uh, the insurance is the first pillar. 
and you can't go without that one. Uh, and that most people at least have the basic insurance. A lot of folks don't have the umbrella coverage, but um, and you can get away with that to some limited degree, depending on your age. Certainly, you know, really young people that that have no family and no assets. <laughs> we call them judgment proof. <laughs> they can get away with less insurance. And of course, the the one thing in our lives where we have the potential of creating the greatest liability is our vehicles. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we should focus the the greatest share of our insurance, but truthfully, you shouldn't have minimum coverage. And uh, even, it's sort of like this, even if you're judgment-proof, is minimum coverage right for you? No. Why? Because there are a lot of other crazy people out there that have minimum coverage. And guess what? If you buy more coverage, let's say, instead of whatever the minimum is today, um, that's terrible. I don't even know that. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't expose yourself, Bill. Uh, well, you know, you can't know everything. That's, that's right. for sure. No, but we'll the bottom line is, um, if you, if let's say that you, you, you know, that $50,000, uh, is minimum coverage. Well, the thing about it is, is that, uh, if somebody runs into you and they have minimum coverage and they're judgment proof, or let's say they're uninsured, you know, they're illegal drivers, Mm -hmm. and they're just, um, you know, out there driving. And there's a percentage of those out there, too. And and guess what? It's probably a higher probability that those people will run into you uh, than somebody with a lot of insurance, you know. Uh, So if you have a higher level of insurance, then you are, you have coverage called underinsured insured and uh, what what is it called? Um, underinsured motorist coverage, so that if somebody, if you have, for instance, three hundred thousand dollars of coverage, and the person who hits you only has thirty or forty or fifty thousand or something like that, and they injure you seriously, and do a lot of damage to your car uh, or your truck, um, then your insurance coverage actually pays the difference. And so you actually get coverage all the way up uh, to um, uh, to what coverage you have. And so the uninsured motorist and under, underinsured motorist is based on how much coverage you have on your own policy. So you can, in essence, buy protection from all of these other folks that don't have adequate insurance if they run into you. And that's where a lot of risk is. And so protecting yourself in that way can be extremely helpful. Okay. And so, but you know, there's other types of liability insurance for business owners. They better have workman's compensation insurance because otherwise they're personally liable. uh, If uh, an employee gets injured on the job, things like that, really, really important for folks um, to have that kind of coverage. So, you know, liability insurance is the first pillar and you can't, um, you, you you don't have an asset protection plan at all. You're just hanging out. Right. Uh, and I've even had clients who, particularly when they got older, which was really silly, they they dropped their coverage. Uh, not all of it. They just dropped their umbrella, dropped their, to the minimum coverage, thinking, oh, I don't drive that much anymore, and I don't like paying these premiums. And guess what? 
you know, it's our oldest drivers and our youngest drivers who are what? The most accident prone. That's exactly right. Yep. So guess what happened to my client who did just that without asking? Uh, he basically was at fault in a very bad accident. Mm. Uh, and now he has to worry every day as to whether he'll lose everything. And, uh, you know, there's not much asset protection after the fact. Right. So you got to do your planning before the fact in order to be in front of it and be protected. That is true. And uh, we'll continue our conversation going back to the basics, the four pillars of asset protection. And we're focusing in on, uh, we're talking a little bit about, about insurance right now, but we'll continue our conversation in just a bit. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. You are listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him at WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com. And this morning we're talking about uh, the basics of asset protection, if you will, Bill. And those are, uh, we call these the, the four pillars or the four legs of the stool. We've, we've mm-hmm. given them lots of names. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are basically the four tenets of asset protection, and we talked a little bit about insurance a while ago. Do we need to wrap that up, or are we moving? No, on? we're wrapped up on that. I, I don't. I, I don't want to put people to sleep talking about <laughs> uh, things like that. But you know, I, I want folks to know how important it is. I mean, it's uh, it's not something that I sell, folks. I'm not trying to tell you to get it because I'm. Uh, you know, it's important to me personally in terms of making money. It's not. It's this is what people need to do. Right. <laughs> okay. So the, now the next thing is something that I can make a little money on if people listen to me and, and uh, uh, want my help in doing it. And that is having good legal planning. Okay. And that means good legal documents as well. And I'm not talking about uh, necessarily – just folks when they get to be quote seniors, whatever age that is, <laughs> you know. Do you know how old you have to be for AARP? Do you think AARP? You're a senior when you join AARP? Oh no, probably not. You, well, it's sort of the first leg of being a senior. Do you know when you get your AARP card? Oh no, when's that? It's horrible when you're fifty. <laughs> Nobody's a senior when they're 50. No, I hate that's to tell almost them. an insult. It is an yeah. insult. I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe it <laughs> when that happened to me. And I was just going, wait a minute, this, this should not apply to me. And I mean, you can't even get your senior discounts when you're 50. You know? <laughs> that's so true. Nobody gives those to you when you're 50. But uh, it is a great organization, I will say that, AARP. So, um, uh, but 50 is just, you know. <laughs> Golly, Dave, 50's the new 30. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so le- good legal planning, good legal documents. Well, bottom line, even young people should have good legal documents. I mean, you think about it, and, and a lot of folks don't even think about this, but what happens when your children turn 18? You know, you've basically taken care of them for 18 years. You've uh, basically nurtured them. You've made all the the uh, most important decisions for them. You've kept them safe, and now they're 18. Are they an adult? Uh, Not really. Legally, I mean, they're legally, legally okay. Legally, that. they're of age. But the bottom line is, when they turn 18, 
by law, they're in charge of themselves. Right. They make, or legally, they can make their own decisions. Now, you might have influence over them. I would hope that you would. I would hope so, too. Maybe financial influence, if nothing else. <laughs> but uh, I, the bottom line is, is that while you legally could, in fact, make decisions for them when they were 17, when they turn 18, they are considered adults to make their own decisions. Well, you know, and most people don't think about it, but do 18-year-olds get injured? Do they go to the hospital? Yes. And the, the fact is, is that you don't have the right to be able to make decisions at that point unless they have given you a health care power of attorney or from finance. Now, most of them don't have anything at that age, so financial powers of attorney are not near as important. But, um, you know, a health care power of attorney goes a long way, and it's a real simple document to have. But it's one that parents should, you know, be thinking about having their uh, 18-year-olds uh, and older to sign over so that in the event they can't make their own health care decisions for themselves, then... They, the parent can come in and, and then make those decisions. Um, uh, and ob- obviously, it's always a bad situation when that happens, but bad situations do happen to people. Yeah. So now that's just a real simple example, but the parents should have documents too, uh, and the grandparents and the great-grandparents as well. And if you're going into business, would you go into business without a business plan? Would you go into business on a handshake without a document, uh, whether it's a partnership agreement or organizational agreement for a limited liability company or whatever to determine, you know, who, um, uh, you, you know, who, who owns what? If it, it, you know, one of the most important reasons for. A business agreement is knowing what to do if the agreement doesn't work out. In other words, how many partnerships fail? How many businesses fail? Hate to tell you, most of them fail. Okay, so who gets what when it fails? Well, uh, that's a business plan, you know, in terms of who manages it when we're doing well and making money and and what happens when one leaves, whether it's voluntarily or involuntarily, um, you know, because they get, you know, pushed out or because they get sick or they die, um, you know, businesses change. And the whole port of planning is to know what happens when it changes because life changes around us all the time. The same thing is true uh, in our personal lives as well. Um, you know, particularly uh, for folks who are getting married for the second or third or fourth time, mm-hmm. you know, what agreement do a lot of folks want to have at that point? Uh, a marriage agreement or what's called a pre-marriage agreement or an, uh, they're called antinuptial agreements and they're called different things. But they're all the same thing. It's, it's what? A plan for how we uh, deal with each other financially uh, during a successful marriage and if something should bad should happen, you know, the marriage doesn't last. And so an agreement is there. Well, in other words, good legal documents are really important 
whether or not you're into a 50-year marriage or you're just getting married or whatever it is, but um, good legal documents. So it's not all about estate planning. It mm-hmm. could be family planning. It could be business planning. It, uh, they're all related in terms of having the right kind of legal documents for yourself. Now, obviously, uh, for personal family type planning, um, oftentimes trusts, which, you know, obviously I do a lot of trusts for families, uh, can really uh, put together, um, uh, you know, how to, you know, asset protection, how to protect your spouse, how to protect your children, how to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. It can also include and should include a disability plan in terms of what happens if and when I can't make my own decisions for myself. Uh, And that I'm talking about in a trust document. So you can say, if I can't spend my own money, I'm going to tell you how to spend my money on me. That's a disability plan. And that's important. You can't get that with power of attorney, although a power of attorney is real important too. Um, And so, uh, and another aspect of good legal documents has to do with income tax planning which you can do with legal documents. And you can do asset protection planning uh, through limited liability companies, through S-corporations, through C-corporations, through... In in other words, it's not... It it has to do with business. It has to do with family. It has to do with your taxes. Um, But the bottom line is that is what good legal planning will do for you and having the right documents to make that plan work is extraordinarily important. And so, yes, that's something that we do at W.G. Alexander and Associates and it's something that Bill Alexander does. So I I can't say that my comments are not self-serving, but they are. But, you know, hey, it's really important for folks to have the right documents in place. And so... Having healthcare documents in place are important. Having the right kind of powers of attorney. And I'll tell you right now, most seniors, you know, they may be sitting around thinking, well, I went to a lawyer and I got those documents done. And unfortunately, and I hate to say this, but 90% of them have the wrong documents in their later years. You know, they don't have adequate powers of attorney. They don't have a kind of will or trust that can be used to protect their spouse and themselves um, if they get sick or if they die. And um, the bottom line is most people just don't have the right kind of documents. And the the issue, and this will sound funny, but the issue is the fact that they don't know their options, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's real interesting because a lot of folks come into my office and say, well, we're just simple folks. We don't we don't need anything complex. And then I'll say, well, have you considered this? Have you considered that? You know, you could do this effectively if you wanted to. And by the time we finish, they've actually made choices. I haven't twisted their arm. It's just like, right. oh, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you could do that. And once they realize that they can actually do some things that make a huge difference for them, they make choices that are important to them and that's what good legal planning is all about choices yeah that's great (laughs) and if you have some documents and you're unsure of whether or not they're they can do what you want them to do 
get a hold of Bill, head on over to WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com and set up an appointment. Talk to Bill. He's a, he's a very smart guy. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> we'll continue our conversation here on the basics of asset protection. We've covered insurance and good legal planning, and we'll move right along. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you. Jason Kong here alongside Bill Alexander. And Bill, we've covered uh, two of the four pillars of asset protection, insurance, and good legal planning. We're, I guess we're a little bit wobbly on the stool with with well, those two, two legs doesn't get you there, does no, it? No, it doesn't. That's a tight balancing act. So uh, let's add on a third here. Where okay. are we going next? Okay. The next is having your property or your assets or your nest egg, whatever you want to call it, titled properly. That is – now, truthfully, that's the leg that most people miss. They have a leg that's too long, too short, or none at all. In other words, they just don't know – how to title their their property, or they do it in such a a haphazard way, um, they just sort of go along with the herd, if you will, mm-hmm. um, that their planning doesn't work because of the way they own title to property. And um, now, this is especially true of married couples, okay? And um, so uh, here's the – and this is also the problem where most – very few attorneys actually talk about this third leg. You know, they'll say, oh, yeah, I'll do your legal documents for you. You know, here are your documents, sign here, pay me this, and and go on about your way. And they never get into the discussion, which is so important to make your documents – work. And so what I'm really getting at is this. When you have your legal documents, it's like having a car without gas. Okay. Title to your property is the gas that makes your documents work. Without gas, will your car work? Well, if it's electric, it might, but (laughs) okay. So, (laughs) okay. But But the bottom line is you have to have fuel, whether it's electricity or gas. Right. Okay. So you're, the way you own your property is the fuel mm-hmm. for to make your vehicle move. And I have seen – over the years, I have seen so many plans fail because people did not own their property correctly. And I'll give you – a good example, and you're you're probably as good a guinea pig as I have because Jason, you are a married young man, right? That's right. Okay. Now I realize that at this point in your life, you probably do not have a sophisticated pl- life plan that's it that's incorporated into your legal documents. No, my plan is to just get through the rest of this hour, Bill. <laughs> okay. That's that's how I live my life. Well, at this yeah, point. I get that, but okay, but you're probably consistent with ninety nine percent of the married couples out there. Mm-hmm. So, how you and your wife own a house, don't you? Correct. Who owns it? Both of us. How do you have it titled? Uh, in both of our names. Very good. Okay, what does that mean? It means that if you die, who owns it? It goes to her, right? And if she dies, who owns it? 
uh, it goes to me. Right. Okay. The deed actually does that. And it doesn't matter what's in your will. It doesn't matter what's in your trust if you have a trust. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, where does your money go when you get paid? Does it go into a bank account? Yes. I bet it's a joint account, isn't it? It is a joint account. And her money goes into the same account probably. Correct. All right. And that account likely is joint with right of survivorship. Okay. Right? That's, That's the contract yeah. at the bank, right? Right. Well, if you die, who gets the account? It'll go to her. And if she dies, who gets the account? It goes to me. All right. And that's by the contract at the bank. It's not based on your will. It's not based on your trust. In okay. other words, it's out. it trumps those mm-hmm. documents, those legal documents. All right. Now, uh, to the degree you have an investment account, like, you know— um, an, an account at Merrill Lynch or Edward Jones or uh, Morgan Stanley, you know, pick one, doesn't matter. Uh, or uh, you have accounts at Schwab or Vanguard mm-hmm. or uh, Fidelity. How would you own that account? Uh, probably in my name or jointly. I don't know. Joint with right of there survivorship is the way most uh, have it. And again, guess what? It's going to go to the survivor no matter what's in your legal documents. Okay, so I know you have a retirement account, and yeah. there are lots of folks out there who have been married a good while that have really large retirement accounts. Who gets the retirement account when you die? The designated beneficiary. Right. In other words, it's on the contract who gets it. You've signed that, so it's a beneficiary, right? Right. So it doesn't go by your will, and it doesn't go by your trust. All right, so let's go to the last uh, really big uh, asset for a lot of folks, and that's your life insurance. Who gets that? Again, designated beneficiary. There you go. So guess what? All right, so now you've gone to a lawyer, you have a will, or you have this trust where you've done some sophisticated uh, disability planning, and you've done uh, asset protection planning for your spouse and your children, and you've you've, uh, done some really good planning. Um, but you own all that property the way we just talked about. So what do you have left that your will or your trust will control at this point? Uh, all the rest of the fun stuff, I guess. What's that? Um, your, your goodies, I guess. Your collections, <laughs> your toys, I don't know. Not much. Yeah. That's the whole point because your real estate, your bank accounts, mm-hmm. your investment accounts, your retirement accounts, your life insurance. For most folks, they don't ever think about changing how they own their property. So guess what? All that money you just spent getting a, a really wonderful asset protection trust done won't work. I have seen that happen so many times because people – two things. They've done a trust, but they've never transferred ownership to themselves as trustee. That happens about 50% of the time where people come in and say, will you review my trust? And I'll say, sure. What's in it? And they'll look at me like, what do you mean what's in it? Uh, and, and and they really don't realize that their trust isn't going to work mm-hmm. Uh so sometimes, you know, it's easier just throw out what they've already done, start over because they haven't done anything with what they've already paid for, which is a real shame, but that's, you know, what happens so often. So the bottom line is that oftentimes it really helps and makes a huge difference. And sometimes it's a matter of moving property into a trust and that solves the problem to get altogether. 
but other times you have planning in your will uh, that uh, makes a difference, uh, or you have other types of planning in place uh, where how you own the property makes all the difference in terms of whether your documents will actually work or not work. It's called title to property. And so that's the third pillar, and, and truthfully, that is the pillar where most people fall down. Another way to that screws up documents frequently, and I've had this happen as well, is PODs and TODs, you know, which is a beneficiary-type designation that you can do through your uh, bank or through your broker. Uh, POD generally is what's used at banks pay on death, and TOD, transfer on death, is typically what you'll see at a brokerage house. But the bottom line is that can screw up a plan, and I'll give you a horror story very quickly. Had a client, had an asset protection plan for his wife who was in the nursing home. Everything was in his name, and we were, we we're talking about a fairly large estate in his name all done properly, everything was done great, and he went into his banker, and his banker said, Mr. Smith, look, you've got, in this case, about $400,000 in in the bank here. Why don't you sign a POD, a pay-on-death, over to your wife so you can avoid probate and all the expenses that go with probate? Now, guess what? And and he, Mr. Smith, unfortunately, uh, was getting up there in age, and, and his mind wasn't working as sharp as it had in the past. He had a fabulous asset protection plan that was already perfect. Mm-hmm. And guess what happened? The banker did not call his attorney. Right. The banker didn't really ask, do you have you know planning in place, just – the assumption that if he did a POD, that it would save him money and he should do this. And of course, bankers are trusted advisors oftentimes. But guess what? When he signed this POD and he basically, uh, upon his death, which occurred about six months after he signed this POD, and I had no clue about the fact that he had done it because he didn't share that with me, his wife ended up getting the bank account. Now, everything else was protected because we had everything protected, but it took his wife off of Medicaid, and um, the majority of that $400,000 was lost because of that banker changing title. You think I, were, I was pleased? <laughs> I Not, don't think I so. could have killed him. But the but that's the kind of thing that can happen in terms of how important how you own your property can be. And then, of course, the other moral to the story is professionals should be coordinating with the other professionals involved in uh, particularly with estate planning matters. They, you know, attorneys should be talking to the bankers and the financial advisors and the and the CPAs and accountants and vice versa, because when they're trying to do this alone, they don't know what all these other folks are doing and how they can screw these things up. So title to property is the third leg that is so important. Yeah, and that's why it's so important to have someone like you, Bill, uh, in your corner, able to oversee the the whole aspect of things, because if, if you only have one person dialed into one little part, it's hard to see the whole picture. So uh, again, if you need to get a hold of Bill, WGALaw.com is the place to go 
WGALaw.com. We'll be back and we'll talk about the fourth pillar of asset protection. We'll do that in just a bit. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and we're talking about the four basic pillars of asset protection. We've gone over insurance, we've gone over good legal planning, we've just finished having assets titled properly. And, Bill, what is that final fourth pillar? Well, the fourth pillar is, is a fairly simple concept that most folks get wrong as well, and that's have having your financial planning consistent with your legal planning. And your you know, it all ties in together, but the bottom line is is that most folks, when they do legal planning, they really do have a pretty good idea of their of what they're trying to achieve. Uh, they also know, uh, what they have, and they also know their risk tolerance in terms of um, what they're willing to do with with their money in, in order to preserve it, enjoy it, keep it, uh, you know, whether it's their legacy for their children or whether it's not running out of money for themselves uh, or whatever it is that, that, uh, that it is that's important to them, uh, it, it involves their nest egg, what they've basically worked for. Uh, it may be preserving the farm. It may be, um, uh, pre- you know, preserving the home. Uh, make sure that you can stay in it your entire life. And so your financial planning is really important to that. And this also comes back around to um, – insurance to some degree, but not the same type of insurance that's the foundation, you know, the liability insurance. Uh, it's certain types of life insurance. It uh, can be long-term care insurance. Um, and of course, uh, most of the seniors out there do not have long-term care insurance and their ability to get it is long gone. They should have gotten it 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where, uh, the financial planning really comes down to how do we achieve our goal, our goals? How do we grow what we have? Um, and how do we not lose what we have? Now, asset protection obviously is focused more on not losing. Uh, and, and actually, part of not losing, and this will sound a little funny, but is taking some risk. But um, in other words, losing very little while other people are losing their shirts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it makes sense. It, it, well, here's the thing: it, if you have a zero risk tolerance, then you're, by virtue of that, you're going to lose money. Yeah. And, and there's no such thing as no risk. And uh, in other words, if if you have your money in your mattress, there is risk. I mean, and and you got two kinds of risk there. You got risk that somebody will find it and steal it. Uh, but of course, if you have it hidden away well enough, maybe you can prevent that. But you're still losing money because inflation mm-hmm. is eating up that 
uh, money. And so if inflation is a percent and a half a year, and that's low inflation, obviously, then your money is losing a percent and a half in value every year because there's no risk. Now, most people in the last number of years, while interest rates at the bank and CD rates have been under a percent, truthfully, most people have been losing money by only having it in those types of investments. Yes, it's safe. You're, you don't have any market risk with the with the stock market plunging, you know, those kinds of things. But you're still losing money. Mm-hmm. And so most seniors uh, need to have at least some of their money in uh, investments that can at least make – can beat inflation. If uh, and, and it's obviously – if they have, and everybody's different in terms of what's appropriate for them when it comes to financial planning. But the the bottom line is is that typically as we get older, we get a little more conservative, and that's a good thing. Uh, uh, but it's it's the kind of thing where if you can avoid losses or reduce the losses, that's huge, and that's what I like to see in terms of how the plans uh, come together. And, I, and of course, the other side of that is I don't like to see folks that say I, have no, I don't have any tolerance for any risk whatsoever because they're already losing money every, every year when they do that. And people are living older, and, and if you have a limited nest egg, you, you should worry about running out of money. And so to the degree that you can make your money grow without being greedy but not losing money, that that's actually a good solution for folks. Um, it also has to do with tax planning. So again, it, it comes back to legal planning as well as tax planning. Good legal planning includes good tax planning. And that's, you know, obviously something that we do too. But um, it, so there are a lot of different aspects in that. And then part of the financial piece is what kind of insurance do you add on in terms of life insurance, uh, long-term care insurance, um, uh, disability insurance, uh, those kinds of things. And, and like I said, that, that changes. What type of tax elections you make, what type of Social Security and retirement elections you make is a huge impact. I'll give you an example for this. Anyone who's reaching retirement should avoid being a do-it-yourselfer about all of the decisions that go in to uh, retirement planning because it has to do with what's your a best social security election that you can make and most people don't have a clue how that works and people make bad decisions every day on social security you can't get that advice from the social security administration they can't give it and when they do it's bad advice uh, you really need a good professional who can run the numbers for you and really tell you What's in your best interest when it comes to Social Security elections? It makes differences for a lot of folks in the hundreds of thousands of dollars during their lifetime. So it's it's making a bad decision can cost you a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Another one, particularly if you have a pension, and there are not a whole lot of folks like this, but you know, like state employees, uh, local uh, government employees, military folks, those kind of things. 
typically when they retire, they have to make an election as to whether their spouse gets a portion of their retirement upon their death. So it's a really important decision, particularly for the men out there, because we generally don't live as long as our wives, so we're trying to protect our spouses. Uh, sometimes it works the other way, but it's uh, but that's really important. Well, for a, a person who is, is getting close to retirement age um, and they have to make that pension election, you know, a few months before that, they really should go see a retirement professional about whether – a life insurance policy will actually benefit the spouse more than the retirement election. Now, if you're in bad health, making the retirement election to where your spouse gets your pension is typically a good idea because you're not going to get life insurance. But if you're in good health, oftentimes you can take the difference in terms of what you would your pension would be reduced and instead use it to purchase a fairly large life insurance policy and that actually benefits your spouse and your children a whole lot more than simply giving your spouse uh, the the pension because what happens in most situations where you do the pension election is that if your spouse dies within you know 4 or 5 years of your death then you've left a lot of money on the table that your children would not get. Right. Uh, now, if your spouse outlives you by 20 years, you obviously that would be uh, uh, the better decision on the pension side. But how often does that happen? Very, very rarely, really. So obviously it has to do with your health, which is also obviously a, a guesstimate. But you have to make some guesstimates when you're doing – uh, retirement planning in terms of what makes a difference. The same thing's true for Social Security. It's also based on a health ins- assessment and what makes sense there. But you know, a, a, the biggest problem with financial is people don't look after their own stuff. Now, some people don't have time and they, they should actually have, or they don't feel like they understand it well enough to do it. They should have somebody who knows their stuff looking after it. But um, it's just like with most people's 401ks. How many people actually actively look at their 401k investment and change it from time to time? Now, 401ks have limited investment options, which is one of the sad things about 401ks. Uh, And so it's also one of the reasons that people, once they retire, should move their 401ks to an IRA because they have much many more investment options when they do that. But the bottom line is most people don't really even look at their, you know, they make the election once, once they get employed, and they never go back and reassess. And they really need to really be looking at their 401k and obviously IRAs as well on at least a quarterly basis just to, you know, get some advice and see which way you should go because, Even in a a really small 401k plan, you have some options that will help you a a great deal uh, with those kinds of things. Yep, that's great advice. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WBTF.
News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. And Bill, just want to remind everyone before we head out of here, they can catch you tomorrow morning with Money Secrets on the CW22 at 8 a.m. in the morning. A good chance to get some more tips from you on TV. Well, that's true. Or they can just come in and see us. We can help them, you know. That's right. Please do that. (laughs) Head over to WGALaw.com, schedule an appointment with Bill, and Go ahead and get your assets protected. That'd be a great way to uh, get to know Bill and get to all your assets, uh, your financial situation squared away. That's that's what we do here every Saturday. And we thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll join us again next Saturday. We do this every Saturday at 11. It's Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great day.